on today's Next Fan Up podcast. Todd Vader, you're welcome. You're welcome that I kept this a family show. Why, thank you, Tim. But you still had Justin quite perplexed. I don't even know who that is. Like a singer from the early 90s? And James keeps everyone perplexed. Did everybody go for the Patriots or did James go for his usual uh, underdog special? (laughs) I think the Browns in this game. That's weird. I don't think we'll be seeing the Browns in the divisional round of the playoffs anytime soon. But we got eight other teams. Here we go. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You play to win the game. Next fan up. I want winners. Featuring Pod Vader and the Superfans. They are who we thought they were. Hello and welcome to our divisional round edition of the Next Fan Up podcast. I'm Pod Vader. I've got Superfans galore here with me today. Superfans coming out my Wahoo. Superfans all over the place. Uh, any other version of Superfans, I'd throw it in there here as well, but I'm not going to. I'm going to move on and introduce you to the Superfans that are joining us. we got a great show here. We are going to cover all of the divisional round playoff games as only we can uh, from the perspective of the fan, and then we will talk about some of the new coaches and uh, one organization that's moving. It's probably the worst-kept secret in the NFL, of course, the uh, L.A. Chargers of San Diego. Uh, are now an official thing. So let's jump into it. Let's introduce you to the litany of super fans that we have here today. Neil is our Washington Redskins super fan over in Scotland. Hello, Neil. Hey, Jay. Hey, guys. Jay, I'm just wondering, uh, well, first of all, what's the collective noun for a group of super fans? That's a question for us. And secondly, how many times are we going to scream tonight, uh, Alexa, please mute Jay? Oh, wow. That is not very nice. Alexa, play the Next Fan Up podcast. Or don't forget that for all you folks with the new Amazon Echo. Uh, next up is going to be James, our Eagles super fan. James, did we solve our connection problems from last week? I hope so. And maybe Philadelphia can solve their connection problems with wide receivers after that championship game on uh, Monday night. Mm. Well done. The, 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 the voice you just heard was that of our Patriot superfan, Patrick. Hello, Patrick. Hey, how you doing, Jay? Everything's going A-OK, and I have a feeling they'll still be going A-OK after Saturday night. Uh, and uh, we'll bring in one of those guys uh, who's got a new head coach. It's our Buffalo Bills superfan, uh, Rob. How are you doing, Rob? I'm doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me, Pop. Anytime. Uh, we do suspect that our Cowboy superfan Kevin will be joining us uh, at some point during the course of our recording. Uh, basically, we just we had to get started. We couldn't wait for him any longer. Um, before we jump into everything uh, full board, please do send us your emails to nextfanup at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, have some interactions with you. The off season's coming. We'd love to hear your off-season ideas. There's tons of things that we've talked about, and I'm sure we're going to be talking about uh, this coming off-season as we get ready for the draft and all sorts of good stuff happening in the NFL. So nextfanup at gmail.com. You can tweet us at NFU Podcast, uh, just like Mr. Uh, J.P. Hanrahan did uh, last week. Uh, Was that the right? I don't know if that's the right Twitter, but whatever. Uh, Mr. J.P., uh, definitely tweeted us and we talked about his tweet and uh, had some fun here on the podcast last week. 
Uh, so if you want to be involved in that manner at NFU podcast, and of course we invite you to check out all the good stuff we have going on on our website, nextfanup.wordpress.com. As we get into the playoff games here, before we start, I'm going to give you a few little uh, betting tips uh, about these upcoming games. Uh, the New England Patriots have been a very poor bet in recent playoff games. They're four and ten against the spread in their last 14 playoff games. The four home teams are definitely no bargain as home teams since 2002 are under the 500 mark against the spread. And since 2002, home teams in this round are hitting at only about 45% against the spread. Uh, so that's just something to take, be aware of if you're deciding to place any wagers on the four games uh, this coming weekend. And Kevin, our Cowboy super fan from Prison Zone 6, joins us. Hello, Kevin. Uh, how are you? I'm actually in the infirmary in Prison Zone 6. Uh, it's been a rough few days over here. Oh, uh, got got you hitting the bricks there in the prison zone, I hear. Yeah. You, yeah. Got, the, uh, you got that flu that they actually gave Snake Pliskin? Yeah, mm, that's exactly a remarkable coincidence. <laughs> 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 all right, uh, so there you go. So now all of our super fans are here, and we're going to jump right into our first super fan battle. It's the Saturday game that will kick off at 435, the Seattle Seahawks at the Atlanta Falcons. Okay, this is Justin, the Seahawks super fan, here with normally my buddy today, my arch nemesis, Tim the Atlanta Falcons super fan. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm a very, very sleepy little boy. Yeah, you sound a, a, a little down, which I'm sure is how you'll be feeling after this weekend. I'm so, trying not to wake my dog up. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let, let's, let's, uh, let's get right, right to the heart of the matter. Seahawks versus Falcons, a rematch of a game from earlier this season. Um, what are you looking for in this game, Tim? Uh, flags. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't feel good about anything. Uh, I like the fact that it's in the Georgia Dome. Uh, potentially the last game ever in the Georgia Dome, depending on how our game goes and how the Packers-Cowboys game goes. So uh, the team, you know, for the Falcons, they look like they're going to be healthy for the most part. We're really only going to be missing Desmond Trufant, uh, but we've been missing him for the past, what, eight or nine weeks anyways. So yeah. it's not really missing him at this point because we're used to playing without him. And it'll be interesting to uh, to see what this game uh, ends up being. So I'm kind of excited you guys don't have Earl Thomas playing, to be completely honest. Yeah, it's kind of a similar situation. You know, you take probably the, the best player in each team's respective secondary out. I think it hurts the Seahawks more. Oh, um, without a doubt. In, in terms of scheme and because, you know, the the... Uh, you guys, you guys have an obvious number one, and he's pr- he very well like the number one in the league, like the number one of number ones. Um, whereas you know we have Doug Baldwin, who is absolutely terrific, um, but you know we, uh, our offense doesn't go through him uh, quite the same way as things go through Julio. And so you know, especially for a team like yours that really, really likes to rack up those yards, um, not having that safety net at the back end, I, I will be honest that that is my biggest concern going into this game. That being said, in terms of health, um, the Seahawks are actually uh, much healthier uh, than we were in our first meeting, too. Uh, we didn't have Cam Chancellor then, and we lost Michael Bennett pretty quickly in that game, actually. 
So having him back, hopefully um, with his tiny PB football size shoulder pads, not getting hurt uh, early in the game, he'll stick around and give us some pass rush. I'll, I'll be honest, I thought you were going to come out, you know, all gun, guns a blazing, ready to un- unload on me about how we were going to get blown out. So uh, how do you think this game is going to go? What are you thinking? Like, how, how, how do we match up? I think at the end of the third quarter, it's going to look like the Falcons are going to run away with it. And then the fourth quarter, the Seahawks are going to storm back and make this a game. It's it's going to be a classic Falcons game. We're going to we're going to score in bunches in the first half. And by halftime, you're probably going to be drunk just out of stress alone. But for whatever reason, we cannot finish. So, I mean, we finished to the tune of what, 11 and five in the regular season. I'll take that. I uh, should have been 12 and four. Uh, I'm still, I'm still bitter about Richard Sherman holding Julio Jones and just tackling him. I think this game is going to be close. I think it's going to be a walk-off field goal for one of us. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was you guys. All right. Since, since you're not quite ready to, to bring it, uh, Tim and I apologize because it's late for you since we're on opposite time zones, but I'm just going to come right at you. Um, Do it. I think, I think the Seahawks are going to win and I'm confident. Here's why. You have two two offenses. One is the best in the league um, in terms of points scored. Second best in terms of total offense. The other one though is is like more middle middle of the league, but not bad. You know, number twelve in total offense, number eighteen in points scored. The big difference is on the defensive side of the ball. You've got the number five total defense going up against the number twenty five total defense. You know why you can't close out games, Tim? It's because your defense sucks. You've got the the defense that's number three in points allowed versus the one that's number 27 in points allowed. Yeah, your team puts up 30 pretty much automatically. You can count on that. You also give up about 30 pretty much automatically. So it's all the points over that that you score that that leads to your win. Um, You have the the team with with the third most sacks in the league, in the Seahawks, versus the one with the 16th most. And this is a game that, that I think is really going to be entirely dependent on the quarterbacks. I do think Atlanta will score, which uh, is going to force the Seahawks to push the ball downfield. And in a dome, it, uh, all right, that's fine. Um, granted, you guys are pretty soft against the the run. Um, and so if Thomas Rawls can keep things going, he set the team record for postseason rushing yards in the game last week. That would certainly be great. Here's here's what I was looking at. I was looking at, at competition. Atlanta beat one defense in the top 13 in the league, and that was Denver. Because Denver only scored 16 points. I mean, you know, it's it, it's almost not your fault that Denver couldn't score more points than that. Um, like, they could, they would have been better off with, like, me or you or that mummy from last year at quarterback. Um, I don't know about all that now. You're right. I'll, 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 leave, uh, I'll, I'll leave Manning out of this. But the first part is true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't uh, think I can throw a ball 30 yards anymore. <laughs> Well, n- neither could he, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, of of teams in the top twelve defensively, other than than Denver that they played, they played Philly, lost. Kansas City, lost. Seahawks, lost. I hope you're sensing a theme here. As long as they 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 don't have Trevor Simeon at quarterback, if you're a top twelve defense, you beat the Falcons this year. Tampa Bay, who chalked in at fifteen, middle of the pack, split with them. The Seahawks have beaten uh, top offenses, two of them, the number one and the number three offense, Atlanta and New England. So I look at this game, and I think that barring injuries, barring crazy things happening, I'm really comfortable uh, saying that I think the Seahawks are going to win this game. Do I think they'll blow, blow Atlanta? Absolutely not. Atlanta is way too good of a team, 
And, uh, you know, don't take for granted the fact that Gus Bradley knows the Seahawks organization as well as anybody who's not on the team. And so he knows what's going to come at him. He's going to be prepared for it. But the truth of the matter is it's a simple Who the hell is game. Gus Bradley? I'm not Gus Bradley. Shoot. Who's your guy? Dan, Dan Quinn. Quinn. Don't, Dan uh, Quinn. You know what? You're right. you know what? You know what? That Dan disrespect Quinn. right there, you just cursed your team. Right You're there. Right. You know right there. Dan you, Quinn has proven to Gus be the better head coach. effing Bradley at me. You know how much it took for me to change that to effing just now? Like, okay. Todd Vader, you're welcome. You're welcome that I kept this a family show. All right? Justin, we're done. All right? The friendship is over. Oh, come Romance on. Romance is over. You're crazy. We're going to blow you out. All right, you ready for this? I'm, I'm going to throw it out there. All right. Tevin Coleman, 145 all-purpose yards, two touchdowns. I, I like it. I, I I make you mad, so so you just start pulling thing, things out of the just air. Nonsense. No oh, man. Taylor yeah. Gabriel, eighty-three yard touchdown. I don't even know who that is. Is, 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 is he like look. a like a singer from look. the early nineties? No. You know who he is? He'd be the number two receiver on your team. Oh, oh really? Um, yeah. um Speaking of, of top receivers, did you happen to notice that Doug Bolin had almost hundred catches and almost twelve hundred yards? I'll be honest, you guys don't have an answer for him. You don't have an answer for Jimmy Graham. You don't have an answer for Thomas Rolls. We have an answer for Doug Baldwin. Which nobody has an answer for. Also, Robert Alford is the answer to Doug Baldwin. I'm not worried. Okay, that sounds like a senator from the early 1930s. That's not a football name. Look, anyway, man, look, Russell just Wilson because, has just the because fifth here in Trump's America, we've got people from gone with the wind on our team, doesn't mean we're going to lose. You understand that even though Matt Ryan's been in the, in the league for about three times as long as Russell Wilson, if both of them were hit by a bus tomorrow, Russell Wilson will finish with about five times as many postseason wins as Matt Ryan. You are aware of that, right? That's fine. That's fine. Because that's going to change this year. All right. So We have three more postseason wins than Matt Ryan this year alone. That's... <laughs> Justin, quick question. If the Falcons win this game, do the no. Falcons win the Super Bowl? No. Does the winner of this game win the Super Bowl? Depends. I was going to try to trick you right there. <laughs> no, you're not no I'm, I'm not falling for that. Here's, this is okay. fair. I'm going against somebody who it's it's still daytime almost. <laughs> yeah, I've I've, 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 I've got spit and vinegar. What do you got? You're 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 half asleep. You you probably have have your your hair in a hairnet to keep it safe so it's pretty in the morning. Uh, meanwhile, you know I, I'm out here jazzed up on coffee, ready to rock and roll. And this is what's going to happen come game time. You guys are, are going to be just happy to be there. It's like the postseason. What's happy this? to be there? Yeah. Well, happy to have the bye week. Happy to have the home field. Nah. We got gonna be like, uh, uh, Playoffs. This. this is great. We Four and a half point favorites in Vegas That's for a really reason. Cool. Four and a half point favorites in Vegas for a reason. Vic Beasley's coming after your boy. Yeah, yeah because that's the betting line. That, that's that's not saying. in any way reflective of reality. That's not how saying. Vegas works, homie. Yes, it is. Vegas doesn't make bad bets. Vegas wouldn't exist if they made bad bets. <laughs> All right. So, Tim, score prediction time. <sighs> also, our, punch, our punch was better than yours. 31. Seahawks, 28. Uh, I like that the 20. I'm, so, uh, I'll, I'll keep that. Uh, Seahawks, 28. Falcons, 21. Do you think you beat us by a touchdown? And you think we only scored three? You understand that we scored like 33 points a game. Yeah, on, on average, which means, you know, when, when you put up like 45 against like the, the ghost of the Rams or something, um, the real defenses uh, keep you pretty limited. So I'm pretty comfortable in that prediction. 
So ridiculous. (laughs) There you have it. Tim, good night. Sweet dreams. That's the only place you're going to see a Falcons victory. Uh, I can't wait to talk to you on Sunday. Are, are we recording Saturday or Sunday? We'll we'll work out the logistics later. Either uh, way, yeah. agreed. You're, you're but gonna be but very I think I think right after the game, I might be drunk. You're already drunk. All right. Good night, I'm Jim. Not. Bye. Good night. All right. So uh, I can't believe some of the things these guys say on this show, but whatever. It is the Seahawks. It is the Falcons. Falcons are favored by four and a half. Who you got, Neil? Uh, I've got Atlanta to win, but I think this one's going to go to overtime, Jay. I've got it as 30 points to 33 in Atlanta's favor. I just think, you know, Atlanta, were, were they scored on average four points or four and a half points a game more than anyone else in the league this year, and that's quite a difference. Uh, so I think they'll get their points without the... Errol Thomas in Seattle's uh, backfield, uh, defensive backfield. And yeah, I, uh, I I think the Falcons at home, they played in week six, didn't they? And uh, Seattle won by a couple of points. <sighs> I think it's Atlanta's turn. Uh, they did, in fact, play in, uh, well, they played in October. I'm assuming that's week six. The Seahawks pulled off the victory 26-24. James, what's our injury report looking like on this game? Uh, the only big name uh, is from Seattle, and that's CJ Precise. Uh, Pete, Pete Carroll says that his shoulder is uh, still lingering uh, with the injury, and he'll need to go full speed at practice this week to play Saturday. So right now, he's listed as questionable. Other than that, everybody else from both teams is healthy. Um, my two cents is that as much as I believe in Atlanta's offense being one of the best in the league, and they can put up a lot of points, my concern is their defense, and it has been the entire year. The back end is average at best. The linebackers are mediocre at worst. And, you know, Vic Beasley is pretty much the only name they have on the defensive line to cause any type of problems whatsoever. If they can block up front uh, the Seattle offensive line, then, you know, they can open up things in a running game, which will then open up things in a passing game. And Russell Wilson being a dual threat quarterback, you know, even though he doesn't like to run, he can if there's nothing open downfield. It could be a nightmare for this defense that's pretty much struggled all season to maintain any type of consistency. Um, like I said, the flip side, I do believe in Atlanta's offense. They should get off a couple of big plays without Earl Thomas back deep uh, for the Seattle secondary. Richard Sherman will be locked up on Julio Jones, which minus the phantom non-call that happened the last time these two teams played. When Richard Sherman was matched up on Julio Jones, it was, I believe, three for five as far as completions for Matt Ryan's and the interception against everybody else. He was, I think, five of nine for over 100 yards and a touchdown. So um should be a very close, exciting game. Um, but I'm going to lean with the Seahawks. They've been there before. and They've been in these situations. They've won on the road in uh, the playoffs. And I just trust them as a complete team more so than I trust the Falcons. Like I said, the only thing that gives me pause is the fact that the game is in Atlanta and the Falcons' defense is not that good. Patrick, this is the second time these two teams will have met in the playoffs. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons won the first time in 2012, 30-28 at the Georgia Dome. Yeah, I I think this game is at the Georgia Dome because Atlanta is the better team, right? That's um, 
So the home team distinctly has an advantage here. Uh, and frankly, I'm not sure how great that that vaunted Seattle defense is now, now that they have you know problems with the safeties. So um, I think, honestly, the more complete team is Atlanta. The more powerful offense is Atlanta. The best position group is, is Atlanta. Um, so I, I got to go the Falcons. Rob Neal is uh, reminding us that Matt Ryan's only career playoff win was that 2012 victory over Seattle. Yeah, I I'll tell you what I think Atlanta's going to be ready. I think uh, I think they're the better team. You know, I know you know we were talking. There was talk on Atlanta's defense. You know, not being up to snuff, but I, I don't think Seattle's defense is great right now with you know their lack of back end help and uh, you know. And, Atlanta likes to pass that ball around. They got the, you know, the two-headed monster at uh, running back uh, with uh, Coleman and Freeman. Um, I think that Atlanta's, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Uh, I think Seattle may try to slow the pace down with a little bit of Rawls. But I think at the end of the day, Atlanta's the better team, and they're going to move on to the, uh, you know, conference championship. Uh, Kevin, the Seahawks do lead the all-time series 10-6. to uh, and oh, have yes. won the last that two is a- against these uh, in in this matchup. It's over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Why I, can I even uh, debate that 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 stat? No, but um, I agree with uh, with Rob and with Robin Pat. The Seahawks defense is just not the same since Earl Thomas has left. Um, not left has in has, was injured. Um, I was reading earlier this morning that they haven't had one interception since Earl Thomas was injured, and they're allowing 13 yards per catch since his injury, which is second worst in the NFL. Um, and I'm not really all that inspired by their win over Detroit. I mean, Detroit lost three games in a row and still made the playoffs at the end. So they finished the, the season on a four-game losing streak with an injured Stafford. So that game last week, Seattle pulled off. Doesn't really impress me whatsoever. Um, still have concerns about Seattle's offensive line. Thomas Rawls before last week, I think, had a combined like 140 yards over over the last four games. Um, and Vic Beasley, the the leading sack man in the NFL, I think, will be too much for the the Seahawks offensive line. Um, I think he'll get a few sacks in there. Um, and then also, I just think earlier this year, the, the Falcons should have won that game if not for a missed pass interference call at the end and some other things that just didn't go the Falcons' way. Um, and it is in the Georgia Dome, and the Falcons have been known to, you know, boost the crowd noise a little bit. So I think that, that might help a bit. Um, but just give me the Falcons here, mainly for the – the reason that Earl Thomas isn't playing. If he was playing, it would be a different story, I think. But he's not, and the Falcons are going to win. You know, I like Neil giving, uh, continuing to type in uh, stats as as we talk about the game. Atlanta has the worst red zone D in the NFL, but since Earl Thomas went out, the opposing quarterback rating on passes over 20 yards, 118.6. I'm going to throw in one last stat. Um that we haven't mentioned. First of all, I will uh, I'll uh, say that uh, the the uh, 
the plus 11 on takeaways and giveaways for the Falcons is much in their favor. Only plus one for that vaunted Seattle defense that uh, we've mentioned a couple times. And the other area where um, the Falcons do come out on top is special teams. And we all know how important special teams are uh, for a team to win a game. Uh, So, you know, not because of those reasons specifically, but I do like the Falcons here, and I don't think it's going to be that close. The Seahawks are just a much different team when they're on the road, and I haven't seen anything really in the last couple weeks out of Seattle that's given me any sort of hope that uh, we're going to see a Seattle team that we all know and love and have seen before in Super Bowls. All right. Uh, I think only James. James, did you pick Atlanta ultimately? No. um, Trust me, I've seen enough Atlanta playoff games to know that games they're supposed to win, they don't come big when they're supposed to. And this is another situation. The last time they had a situation like this riding high at the end of the season, a bye in the first round, Uh, I remember a Green Bay team that was streaking at the end of the year, and Aaron Rodgers came in there and let them up for like 35, 42 points in the first half, and the fans just left, and this team had nothing left in the second half. So I I still remember that game very vividly because that was the year that Green Bay ended up winning, you know, the Super Bowl. And they've not really performed well since that. You know, not to mention, you know, losing to the 49ers a couple of years ago when they went to the Super Bowl. It's just they get in these spots, and they just don't perform the way they should. All right, moving on to a game that we will probably try to spend the least amount of time on. It is the Houston Texans at the New England Patriots, and Patrick was joined by James, our Texan superfan, to break it all down. Somehow, some way, the Houston Texans superfan, James, here, is uh, advanced to the divisional round of the playoffs after a resounding win over the Oakland Raiders in the wild card round. Um, the road ahead of us, unfortunately, is not that easy, as I'm joined by uh, New England Patriots superfan Patrick. Uh, how are you today, Patrick? Are you looking forward to uh, having had two weeks to prepare for the Houston Texans? I am actually looking forward to the conference championship game. <laughs> not to be a jerk about it, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I understand your confidence. I mean, it, it, it might be rooted in the fact that you guys are 16-point favorites. and uh, 17. The largest 17. Threat. Mine changed. Oh, oh goody. That's uh, good considering the 16-point line was the largest spread since, I believe, 1999 or uh, the, the late 90s. And it's only one of four times since they've gone to this format that a uh, a team has been favored by more than two touchdowns. And just for the history, uh, this the, the previous three teams are three and zero. Wow. So, uh, I mean, I'm not a gambler. I don't like gambling. I know that there are others that do. Uh, you among them. I'd be tempted by that line, um, especially because we're, we're talking about a coaching staff that's comprised, to my knowledge, exclusively of former Patriots. So um, maybe they don't get their noses rubbed in it, and you know we eke out a comfortable 12 point win. Um, you know, that, that line might be, you know, very attainable. Uh, well, I mean, if only there was a, a matchup earlier this season between the Patriots and the, uh, and the Texans that we could draw on, 
Um, different, oh, different game, man. Different game. Uh, like, we were missing our starting quarterback for that game. That is true. And we, <laughs> we had uh, a shell of a defensive player of the year, I believe, still uh, technically suiting up, although uh, the effectiveness will, is, is something to be determined. Yeah, that, of course. Did, didn't he leave, like, three to... minutes into that game? Yeah, it was. He did not finish the game. I, I recall that. Um, and, and in fairness, the game was over about five minutes in. So it's not like he had to hang around long. Um, but yeah, that was back in uh, week four, uh, 27 to nothing. And, uh, you know, it seems like such a long time ago. And the Houston Texans actually went into Foxborough favored. Oh, what naive children you were at the time. Um, yeah, so I, I think we're both envisioning this going. Uh, kind of the same way uh, I, I, to cover the, the Bill O'Brien quotes just quickly. He's not going to use the spread as a, as a motivating tactic. I mean, why, why bother? He hasn't used much of anything as a motivating, motivating tactic this season. So uh, there you go. And then uh, he also said that, uh, you know, take things one game at a time and that they're going to have to play a perfect football game to have a chance against the Patriots. Um, you know, I like the sentiment there. Unfortunately, uh, he, he may be underestimating just how lucky the Texans have been uh, since playing Green Bay six weeks ago. So their past six games, uh, they've put the ball on the ground 10 times and they've recovered eight of those. Meanwhile, they've forced a mere three fumbles in those six games and they've managed to recover two of them. That's an un, unsustainable 80% or nearly 80% fumble recovery rate. Um, I don't like what you're Patrick, alluding to. And I know you don't mean to be alluding to it, but the Patriots do lead the NFL in fumbles. Yeah, I you know, that was my one silver lining that, uh, you know, the, the Patriots may put the ball on the ground. Unfortunately, they like to put the ball on the ground in a similar manner to the Houston Texans, and that is on kickoffs and punt returns. Um, Isn't that weird? So I, yeah, it, it's a little weird. Uh, I'm surprised uh, your guys', I believe, second-round pick, your first pick of last year's yeah. draft, is not doing so well in the special teams department. It seems like such an easy problem to solve because it's so identifiable to one person who has such a narrow function that it's it's almost unjustifiable to keep him on like a game day roster where you could more easily use that spot by anybody else. Like if you want to activate Jacoby Brissett, just to have your third string quarterback available, that to me is more valuable because like at a minimum it keeps our awful kick returner from touching the football with his foot or his face or his back. Uh, well, it's, uh, it, it's, it's funny because in the preseason, the Texans would, uh, the last play, they could get out of practice like a half hour early. O'Brien would pick a random person to uh, mm-hmm. catch a punt from Shane Leckler. And uh, there, there's a great story of an offensive lineman who got picked one day. I think it was Dwayne. No. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. It's an offensive lineman. And uh, yeah. he, he managed to make the catch. And that's, that's something it was that... Matt Light. Like, that's a Patriots <laughs> tradition. Yeah. That's, well, uh, that's a, I mean, a Belichickism. I mean, at that point, just put the offensive lineman back there and have him fair catch it all the time, right? Like, at least you're not putting it on the ground. Agreed. So, agreed. Like, proof positive that it's not that impossible for a professional athlete that's been playing football for, at that point, 12, 15 years of their life to, you know... Put your feet on the ten yard line. If it goes over your head, run forward. <laughs> you know, if it's in front of you, catch it. Like, like the, that's kind of it. Like, it's not rocket science. No, it's it, it's pretty pretty straightforward math there. 
Now, uh, I'm actually envisioning a similar thing to what you guys do to the Colts on a regular basis, and that is a uh, six offensive lineman, LeGarrette Blunt, doing 200 yards and three touchdowns, which isn't that far off of what he did back in week four. And it kind of falls under the, the, the paradigm of if it's, if it's not broke, you know, don't fix it. Um, you, you guys are very good at, I don't want to say recycling game plans, because that implies that they were kind of bad in the first place. But, um, you know, against Jacoby Brissett, the Texans knew you were going to line up and run the football at them. They knew you didn't have the greatest offensive line, and yet they were unable to stop the run. Um, the the offense, or I'm sorry, the defense has gotten a little bit better since week four, but uh, you know I don't I don't see them improved to the point where they could stop the run if the Patriots decided they just want to run it all game. And then last time I checked, I believe you're also not starting Jacoby Brissett this week. Not to my knowledge, but I mean, who knows? Uh, Belichick can always uh, throw a curveball at you. The interesting thing on the running game for the Patriots, though, is at this point we have pretty well evenly split the carries between three guys, right? So it's um, if if we did want to just line up and run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, we'll, we'll theoretically have fresh legs to do that. <laughs> and then, of course, you would, you would have a, a fresh arm uh, to, to throw it over the top if we were ever silly enough to bring eight men down in the box. Yeah, so, bring eight uh, men in the box. That's not a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't put uh, Jonathan Joseph and A.J. Bouye out on islands against your guys' as receivers? I mean, um, you know what, though? If you want to crowd the box, it's probably fine. It's not like, like Brady's going to chuck it deep on you. Like, he, he does – that's really not in his wheelhouse. He will occasionally, like, launch one to Hogan. But and I, I guess if that happens once or twice, you're kind of done anyway. But, um, you know, if you want to crowd the line, that's where he's trying to go anyway. Yeah, it's it's not the worst thing in the world to bring your safety down a little bit. Well, I, I've kind of mentioned how I envision this nightmare of a of a game going. Um, a lot of running, uh, the occasional pass from Tom Brady, just so he shows up on the stat line as a as kind of a hey, Roger Goodell, don't forget I still play here. Um, what about you? How do you see this game going? Um, probably pretty similarly. I mean, it's um, what concerns me is that the Patriots are. You know, despite all the bravado, like it's a pretty conservative team, right? And um, despite the stat line or despite the point spread, rather, they usually don't blow people out, right? Like, and and I know they will. Like, I, I know they'll blow people out, but um, they'll take their foot off the gas and keep it, you know, control the pace of the game and make sure they're winning based on you know having more plays than the opposition. Our defense gives up the fewest yards because our our offense doesn't turn the ball over right? And we maintain long possessions. Um, so like I, I see kind of a methodical game, like be it running or passing. I just see us like, like chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And you look up in the fourth quarter and we've scored 30 points, right? Like, and I think that's how it's going to go. And then, you know, they're going to get in Osweiler's head. Like, um, I mean, the concern for us there is, you know, Osweiler did beat the Patriots last year. You know, so like that, that happened. Like there's no, no admitting, there's no avoiding that fact, but um, he just looks so bad. Like he just looks so bad that, uh, and clearly, you know, O'Brien has no faith in him, you know, which means that the team probably doesn't either, uh, which means he probably doesn't have any faith in himself. So 
So, like, I just, I kind of see the Patriots winning a war of attrition and the Texans, you know, the wheels coming off the bus. Like, first with the offense and then the defense will hopefully quit. Hopefully not, because I like Bill O'Brien. I don't want to think his guys are quitting on him, and I love Romeo Cornell. Um, but, like, let's be honest, like, they'll, they'll fold up tents and go home, I think, midway through the game. Yeah, that's that's something similar to what, uh, what was seen in against Kansas City last year. They got down 13 nothing with Brian Hoyer fumbling the ball all over the yard, and you know that that 13 might as well have been you know 31. It, it just wasn't going to come back. So let me ask you um, something because you mentioned you mentioned Hoyer. Who's the best quarterback you've ever had? Oh, uh, b- before the the implosion by Schaub, where he went on a a, a just absolute tear of consecutive games with a pick six. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's probably been the best, the most consistent quarterback. Uh, he gets kind of overlooked because uh, we actually have really bad luck, or I guess bad track record with signing quarterbacks to big deals because the year after he signed his big extension is when, uh, uh, you know, the, the rails fell off for him. But I mean, you don't really have a, a huge depth to pull from on that. You've got, the uh, the the older car brother. You have Matt Schaub. You've got mm-hmm. you know Fitzpatrick. You have um, T.J. Yates in there for a little while. Um, sure, I'm missing some blockbuster names in there. Um, Can I interest you in a gently used Jimmy Garoppolo? You know, I, only if you Knows promise the offense. to get that. You know, only if you promise to get that pick uh, taken away for some capricious violation of pseudo rules oh, fair enough i'm waiting for goodell to show his face in massachusetts at some point eventually it's got to <laughs> happen <laughs> just the, the law of averages states he must he must attend at some point yep. all right well we, we we've probably talked more about this game than anybody expected uh do you have a final score prediction uh 31 to 9 patriots all right, I'm I'm in a similar vein. I uh, I know Tom wants to go out there and show that he's at least one point better than uh, Jacoby, and you know to, to silence all those people that said he shouldn't have been the MVP. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit more conservative on that set. I'm just going to say 28. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to say Brock manages a touchdown somewhere, uh, and I'm going to go with uh, 13 as the as the Texans score. Okay, fair enough. I'll give you 13. <laughs> Oh yeah, when you're scoring 27, you'll give me up to, or 28 rather, you'll give me up to 27. Yeah, but I won't give you 21. So, no way. Yeah, you got to draw the line somewhere. So, all right. Well, thank you very much, and then uh, enjoy the rest of the games. And uh, I'd say good luck, but you're seeming pretty confident in things. Hey, well, good luck to you too. No critical injuries, and uh, I'll, we'll talk again on the recap. Sounds like a plan. So it's nice to see that James has resigned himself to what is ultimately going to be um, a not very entertaining game. Uh, The point spread currently is at 15 and a half. Patrick had mentioned uh, that he had a a line at uh, all the way up to 17. Uh, This is the highest playoff point spread since 1998. Um, and of course a rematch of a game as Patrick will like to remind you featuring an injured not only our third string rookie quarterback who had no p- snaps in the preseason, but it was also injured. Uh, and the Patriots won 27 to nothing. Um, 
I do not see any possible way the Houston Texans can win this game. The question that I pose to you, super fans, and we will start with you, Robert, as you uh, have seen the Patriots a couple of times. Do they cover 15 and a half points? Yes. Yeah, I I mean, there's going to they don't let up in the regular season. They're not going to let up in the playoffs. And, you know, they covered that spread with Jacoby Brissett get, you know, playing. What do you think they're going to do with Tom Brady? It's going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly, kind of fun to watch in a weird, demented way. But it is, yeah, you just go on to next week. Patriots in the in the championship game, conference championship. Kevin, do they cover? Uh, I can't believe I'm going to say they're going to cover 15 and a half points in a playoff game, but they probably will. I mean, the last two times the Patriots played the Texans, they beat them a combined score of 54 to six. And as everyone knows, Jacoby Brissett won the last game 26 to zero when he only attempted nine passes on the game. So really, I, I think everyone can agree that the Texans have no chance here. Um, I personally am that they've made it this far. Um, and I can't wait to see. That. All right. Uh, James, uh, I'm looking at an injury report. I imagine most of the injuries on the Texan side is just, I mean, most of these guys I think are scheduled to play. Uh, the one guy that is interesting to note on the Patriot side, and that's the only name I see on the injury report on the Patriot side, uh, LeGarrette Blunt, who is out with an illness. This could be the beginning of the silent killer, ladies and gentlemen, the good old flu making its rounds through the, through the locker room. It's not supposed to happen when the team is at home. Uh, James, is there anyone else on the injury report I'm missing? Uh, no, just uh, LeGarrette Blount for the Patriots. Um, again, probably most likely the flu. Uh, it, they'll probably pump him with fluids and uh, get him going for, for the game on Saturday night. On the Houston side, we got Whitney Merciless, Jonathan Joseph, DeAndre Hopkins, Brian Cushion, Jadavian Clowney, and John Simon, all this is questionable, but they're all expected to play. Uh, no, no major injuries of anyone to be concerned about. It's probably just bumps and bruises from their uh, wild card win over the um, Raiders. Uh, as far as covering the spread for the Patriots, yeah, I fully expect them to cover the spread. They may even pull people out at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Um, last I checked, Brock Osweiler is still the quarterback of the Texans. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Yeah, okay, so no chance of Savage playing at all? Well, I don't know if they're doing what that poorly. Bill O'Brien could pull the pull the plug quick, or he could just you know spot a fan in the stands and have him come down and suit up. You know <laughs> that might be better. Um, but yeah, I, I don't expect Houston to even make this competitive. Uh, if the over under were three for the Texans scoring, I take the under. Wow, uh, Neil uh, Tom Brady has twenty two career playoff wins, the most in NFL history. He is also the leader in career completions, attempts, passing yards, and touchdown passes for the postseason in NFL history. Yeah, I was just about to call on Alexa there, Jay, but uh, you stopped just in time. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think it's a shame for the neutral fan that this, this game is not in Houston because that might made it slightly more competitive. No. You ask about 15 points. Are they going to cover that? Only they won't do it if the game only lasts for one quarter. If it goes any further than a quarter, yes, they will. Uh, they will cover by 15 and a half points. Uh, Tom Brady is three and one in his career when facing the NFL's number one team in total defense uh, in the playoffs. 
And the question, maybe you covered it in your in your uh, superfan battle, Patrick, uh, but also to you, Jay, as well. How do you guys uh, plan on stopping uh, Merciless and well, what we saw last week was a, a dominating performance by Clowney? What's the, what will be the plan there? Go ahead, Patrick. Um, run to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm assuming one will come from each side. Merciless. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know, man. So um, if they're over-aggressive and it's screen, screens and draws, classic Patriots football, um, if they're conservative, and I don't know why they would be, then Brady will just pick them apart. Like, yes, that is. That is the way Texans could theoretically win the game is by by pressuring Brady without actually resorting to a blitz. But like it, I think we all know it's pretty unrealistic. Although Jay, you never asked me my my opinion on covering the spread. I don't think they cover the spread. Um, so um, I, I think they do a lot of time killing drives and just try and you know nurse whatever lead they go to, uh, and then they end up winning by ten. And all the gamblers get upset. Well, it's funny you bring that up, Patrick, because I was going to say the exact same thing. I do not think oh. the Patriots are going to cover the spread. I, I, I do think that they're going to win this game quite handily. The last time these two teams met in the playoffs uh, was in January 13 of the uh, 2012 divisional round series. They won 41-28. Uh, that does not uh, cover 15 and a half points, but it is a very comfortable victory for the New England Patriots. Uh, I will add here that uh, the Patriots plus 12 takeaway giveaway, the Houston Texans minus seven uh, doesn't. Uh, I mean, there's, there's not a stat on this board that I could give Houston any sort of hope or anything. Uh, the best thing that I can tell you is that Bill O'Brien appears to be set as your head coach. Uh, he won't be fired at the end of this game. Uh, and you have another year of Brock Osweiler either riding the pine or uh, actually developing. I'm not a da- as down on Brock Osweiler as I know the rest of you guys are. Uh, I, But I do think that the uh, Texans are at least still a team that is on the up. They're not on the down. That would be the positive thing I'll say to Houston. Uh, did you did you say that uh, O'Brien will not be sacked, or did or or did you mean he's not leaving and he won't he won't walk away either? Because I think there were stories of him walking away at the end of the the season. Oh well, now see, I haven't seen stories about that. But if that's how true, about then... how about trading his first round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo? <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Why would you not do that if you're Bill O'Brien? Because you just did it with Brock Osweiler, except you didn't give away your future. Oh, Bill O'Brien didn't do that. Yeah, Bill O'Brien didn't do that. Uh, Bill O'Brien absolutely was the one behind Brock Osweiler going to Houston. No. That's a GM move. Jay, just let me give you a a Brock Osweiler, Tom Brady stat. (laughs) This is a good one. Yes, please do. If Tom Brady was to throw an interception on each of his next 35 pass attempts, so 35 consecutive interceptions, he would still have a higher passer rating than Brock Osweiler this season. <laughs> That's brilliant. It's just MVP. Brilliant. <laughs> um, yes. 
all right, so that'll do it for the Saturday games. Uh, the next slot of games begin on Sunday, and the first game kicks off at 1 o'clock. It is the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Kansas City Chiefs. This is Greg and Nick. That's right. It is time for the final showdown between the, I suppose, Alex Smith hater and the Alex Smith apologist. And that is Greg on the, the first one mentioned there, our Steelers superfan, uh, who is coming to Arrowhead. Well, he's not physically coming to Arrowhead, but his team is coming to Arrowhead to face my uh, defending, I suppose, Kansas City Chiefs. I am Nick, the Chiefs super fan. And uh, this is going to be a really, really interesting game. Um, uh, one of uh, one of those games that actually was played out in the regular season, and I don't think, and I hope not, <laughs> that, that this thing is anything like that game. Um, but uh, these are two really interesting, fairly balanced teams Um and uh, and there's going to be just some fireworks here. So, but just to get things started off, let's just play a game called "What Scares Me About You." And I'm just going to go first here, Greg, um, because I think a lot of people they generally think about the Steelers and their air attack, uh, but the Chiefs have actually uh, been pretty good against the pass. Also, Big Ben has not been good on the road this year. What scares me about the Steelers is Le'Veon Bell and and just his ability to just to make things happen as the engine of that offense. And they come against a Chiefs team that, you know, with it was not great against the run during the year anyway. Uh, Bell ran for like 150 yards on us in the, the first matchup. But without Derek Johnson, I think that the Chiefs are straight up vulnerable against the run. They like to run nickel as their base just because they feel like they, they like what they get out of their their front four uh, in terms of the the linebackers, uh, you know, the, the blitzing, the outside linebackers and, and the, the linemen that they keep on rotating through there. And they just rather have more bodies out there to be opportunistic with, when the ball is in the air and, uh, and, and you know, and to, to play that man with, with some extra dudes around there. Uh, they just can't do that against the Steelers, I don't think. And, um, you know, although our safeties are pretty good, I don't know. I, I, I'm very worried about Bell. So uh, how worried should I be? Well, you should be immensely worried with him. It feels like we're playing Bill Cower football right now. They're, they're going to run his wheels off. He is in his contract year. And the most impressive thing about Bell is that despite him getting 30-some touches a game or whatever he's averaging, he uh, doesn't come off the field. He blocks on passing downs. You know, he sneaks out of the backfield. But he never comes off the field. And... I think personally his head's getting a little big right now because he's comparing himself to uh, basketball players and stuff. But, I mean, he has been a beast. He got a a rare day off today in practice. And so they're resting him up. They're going to ride him. And, uh, you know, he's on one of those hot streaks that you just love seeing a guy on. Uh, His unique style is really really colorful. And uh, I think it's going to be a fantastic matchup because these are two of the best five teams in the NFL, in my opinion. And really... This is exactly where these two teams should be this time of year. Everyone in the preseason thought they'd be here. And I'm just really excited for this matchup. Switching the, to what I'm afraid of, the Chiefs, is I, I have two things I'm really afraid of. Of course, Hill. That's the easy one. I mean, the, the lightning speed guy against our lackluster special teams coverage units and everything he can do on offense. It just seems like since the game was so long ago with the Steelers and Chiefs, his usage has totally changed. And just that speed on the field is pretty scary. 
But then the other thing that I'm also very scared about is the uh, alter ego that is uh, Alex Smith that apparently comes out in the playoffs every blue moon. So I could see him having a huge game. Kelsey and Macklin are all, all going. I mean, the afterthoughts almost at this point. And when those guys are your afterthoughts, you have a really good offense. And I mean, it, it's going to be a fun matchup. I just hope that the weather holds up for this game. Yeah, it probably will be cold. And like you mentioned, I mean, I think Hill is almost guaranteed to get a touchdown in this game somehow, some way. I have, I mean, it would be a whole separate bet. I mean, <laughs> with probably even odds in terms of whether he gets that through the air uh, on a rushing down or in special teams. I mean, it could very well be a mixture of, you know, it could be several of those, frankly. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, I think this is an offense that, you know, the Chiefs were always a team that were, you know, they're good at not turning over the ball. They're good at, at you know, controlling the ball and moving the chain generally uh, but they just with, with since Jamal Charles has gone down with that injury you know early last season um, they just hadn't had that home run striker and Tyreek Hill is very different from Charles uh, but you know he's still a rookie and they're still figuring out ways to use him he's it's immensely talented um, and and I, I'm, I'm excited for what he's gonna be able to do in this offense moving forward and like you said I mean you know when you're you know maybe your second and third more dynamic guys are Travis Kelsey and Jeremy Macklin both of which are perfectly healthy I mean I think uh, you know Macklin was beat up earlier in the year but I think he's back and it took him a while to get fully reintegrated into the offense but, but man I mean th- th- this is an offense that can fire on all cylinders and as you mentioned Smith seems to play his best ball in the in the playoffs and I also think what's interesting about the Chiefs is that they're a team that uh, I really feel like they felt like no matter what happened in this in this season, uh, they were not going to be satisfied with kind of reaching their same point in the playoffs last year. Um, they're in this to get to the AFC Championship game to a Super Bowl, and and they've been they held out Justin Houston basically the last two weeks of the season. Just even though I mean he was physically able to play, I mean he had a little bit of swelling. There's like nope, doesn't matter. We it's not not worth even you know letting him run around out there. We want him 100% fresh for for Steelers and for Patriots. And, and, you know, and having this buy has been great. Like, there's been a lot of guys that are just beat up with, um, with all sorts of, of, of Knicks. And, um, and so not only are they coming in fresh uh, health-wise, but you also see something with, with Andy Reid teams, at least Andy, the Andy Reid Chiefs, is that he always has a lot, of, uh, a lot of fun plays that he pulls out of his bag in the first half of regular season games, and, and the Chiefs get up to, to usually big leads. They do well, and they, he tends to be a little bit more conservative. And, and it's, you know, partially that's ball control. That's, he's wanting to run out the clock. But also, um, and this is something that the beat writers talk a lot about, is he, he knows he has a limited amount of magic, and there's only so much of he wants to show in a regular season game if he doesn't have to. And, but it's going to be everything. It's going to be the full cra- Andy Reid craziness once it's to the playoffs because it doesn't matter it's you know you, you don't get any second chances once you're in the once you're in the playoffs so I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the the Chiefs roll out on offense um, I know you are generally not particularly scared about Alex but I mean wh- I mean what do you think about how the Steelers defense has progressed and how it matches up against these Chiefs weapons I, I well I do think the Steelers defense is a it is a developing unit still, and the the one thing I am encouraged about is that the speed on the defense overall has been much improved over the previous years. So, you know, Shazier didn't play in the first matchup, and Dupree didn't play in the first matchup, two, the two big linebackers. But even the young, the, I mean, the last three draft classes are, I think nine of the defensive starters are coming out of the last three draft classes, and every game they're getting better and more 
um, complex. They're getting more confident in their abilities. So that that is going to be helpful. But there's some there's some really scary things I see too, and <laughs> I guess what the scariest thing I see is I, there's some crazy stats out there right now. You know, Tomlin and Reed. I guess Tomlin his uh, all-time three wins the two against Reed, but the home team has always won in these matchups. Hmm. And and then you add in the crazy things where the Chiefs are. I think it said uh, they're zero and four at uh, Arrowhead since '93. And that just feels like a streak that needs to be broken. And then I heard this death staff today. Okay, <laughs> the uh, Steelers have not giving up have not given up a touchdown to the opposing defense in 54 games, which is which ties an NFL record. If they don't give up a, def- a touchdown to your defense this week, it will be an NFL record for 55 straight games. So that's absolutely going to happen in this game. So. I, I don't know. That's that's kind of how I'm starting to feel. And then you have the fantastic stats with Andy Reid being what a bazillion and one off a of bye. So yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think um, you know I'm interested to get your thoughts about you know Ben on the road because you know he he's at a, a significant dip in his overall production. And it, also, if you just look at the Chiefs uh, in terms of what they've done, I mean, granted, again, there there is the that big hole they have in the middle their defense in terms of the run defense but against teams that uh, are the you know the top scorers in this league they've done really well I mean they held the Raiders to under 14 points twice this year they held the Saints to 21 in the the four games they lost uh, outside of the Steelers game which was you know an outlier in, in a million different ways I mean every single team every single one of those games the, the other three games uh, the the opponent scored just 19 points which shows you I mean basically it was offensive dysfunction that, that kept the Chiefs out of it. So I'm not too worried. I mean, I actually think this might be a sneaky, low-scoring game because, you know, both these defenses are going to uh, throw some interesting stuff at uh, the opposing offense. And I, I think for as much as the Steelers definitely have some deadly, deadly weapons, um, there's a lot of things that I, I think we've seen the Steelers not totally clicking um, in a lot of ways late in this season. I mean, a- Antonio Brown is having, you know, at least for for him is sort of a down year, um, and 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 Ben on the road. I mean, what do you what do you, what do you make of of some of the uneven performances you've seen out of the Steelers this year? Well, I think uh, not only uh, Ben on the road, but Ben coming off an injury has never been good. And if that ankle injury really was anything not just Ben being a drama queen, then I think the Steelers have a real problem if they get behind this game. He, he has been a little bit erratic on the road. Uh, I don't know what it is, uh, but he has definitely not been crisp and he has not been accurate. And he's been forcing the ball. Um, they kind of say that, you know, that Ben likes his, uh, his, his wide receivers college open, which sounds crazy in the, uh, you know, a, what a 12-year veteran quarterback, but that is exactly what you see, and he struggled this year against his own defense. And then you have a ball hawk out there like Marcus Peters, and I, I am worried about that. So I think the key to this game for the Steelers is not to fall behind. I think you got to run Bell, and I think that's also how you beat the Chiefs is you put them behind early, and I think that's what we saw in the first matchup. So, you know, th- this should be one of the best best games of the weekend. I do, lo- I do really uh, want to see the the pass rush of the Chiefs against the Steelers' offensive line. Because I do think the Steelers' offensive line is one of the better ones in the league, and the Chiefs do have one of the best pass rushes. You know, we've been talking, and we got to make some time for the other playoff games here, so it's time to move to predictions. Uh, what is your predicted outcome in this game? 
I'm going to go with uh, 24-21 Steelers, and I don't really feel good about it. Andy Reid is, be- is one of the best coaches in the league, and I think he is going to have his team ready to play. And I think they have the revenge factor on their side. It's going to be a tough game, and my homerism is the only reason I have the Steelers edging them out. Yeah, I mean, it's similar for me. I actually, you stole my, my numbers anyway. I, I say 24-21 Chiefs. Um, there, I, I think there are a lot of Chiefs fans that are, are very worried about this game and about some of the matchups. I think the matchups are actually pretty good outside of that, the, you know, the, the, the your run offense against our run defense. Um, and if they can come up with some way to scheme a solution to that, which they've had two weeks to work on, um, because frankly, I think they, they, they knew probably going into the playoffs from day one that, that, that it was going to be a Steelers coming to town. I, I think if they can somehow figure out a way to compensate for that, then this is going to be possibly a long day for the Steelers. But either way, one that I think the Chiefs will, uh, will pull out at home and, as you said, breaking a very long streak of playoff losses in front of that uh, very loyal home Arrowhead crowd. Uh, so this will be a big one. Um, and just uh, any X Factor, a guy that we haven't mentioned yet. Well, the biggest X Factor for me is if Ladarius Green will actually play. Uh, I know you're familiar with him from his time in San Diego. And he is a legitimate target, and he is a great complement to the Antonio Browns of the world. But he's been in the concussion protocol now for... I want to say two or three weeks, and uh, they thought he might be able to be ready to play last week, and he was unable to get out of there. So he did not practice today already, so that's not a good sign. I'm going to say my X factor is uh, is Alex Smith's legs. Um, that was another thing that I was, you know, mentioning a, kind of a list of things that the Chiefs have been holding back on this season. One of those was just Alex Smith running. He ran a little bit in the early in the season. Uh, they sort of got away with it because teams were spying him, and then he got those possibly two concussions in one game in Indianapolis, and they just totally stopped. Uh, and, and it's only in these last few games that he's been really, they've really been using that as a part of the offense, the designed runs, and uh, and, and he's just been... Uh, using that more, right? He doesn't throw it away. He and he gets he just gets a lot of first downs on his with his legs, and he gets touchdowns with his legs. If the Chiefs are going to be able to go toe to toe against some of these big teams, they need to be able to use that as a part of uh, Alex Smith's repertoire. Um, so I'm saying that comes up big this this week. Yeah, I think that's a good call. And also, uh, congrats to Alex Smith here. This is his 50th career start as a Chief, so that will be fun to watch. Uh, <laughs> uh, hopefully, he does well and. Uh, I can see him being a Brad Johnson type guy. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I suppose that is high praise. Either way, uh, good luck on Sunday. Uh, stay healthy, but I hope you lose. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, good luck. There go. Uh, there goes Greg and Nick on this game. I do think that this is, and I said this yesterday with the mats on our Wednesday uh, podcast, the Battle of the Mats. If you missed it, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Or, of course, just ask Alexa to play uh, the latest edition of the Next Fan Up podcast. But, of course, if you ask her to play that, she's going to be playing this podcast that we're in right now. Oh, my God, my mind is stuck in a time warp. In any case, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Kansas City Chiefs, I do think this is probably the most interesting game of the week. Uh, That said, I'm not worried about my boyfriends losing this game. But let's get an injury report from James before we go much further on this one. Uh, starting with the Chiefs, Tom Bahali and Justin Houston are questionable. Uh, Houston has a knee injury, uh, but should be able to return to practice. The Steelers are getting a little bit more interesting here. Uh, Ladarius Green is in a concussion protocol, uh, the tight end. So he and has been for a while. For a while, yes. He has not yet been cleared from that protocol. 
course, after uh, Sunday's game against Miami, we also ran Roethlisberger in a boot. He is questionable, uh, has been limited in practice um, when he has been able to, and he should play this week. Uh, other Patriots, that, uh, excuse me, Steelers uh, that stick out are Fitzgerald Toussaint, backup running back. He, too, has concussion-like symptoms. And uh, Ricardo Matthews, uh, defensive end, is listed as questionable as well. Um, I'm going to do something crazy here, and I'm going to go with the Steelers. Um, mm. Mainly because they're rolling and the offense is clicking on all cylinders. Brown and Bell are nightmares to deal with. And if you load up to stop one, the other could torch you. So as long as Ben Roethlisberger is able to stand on the field, you know, for any given period of time and, you know, play averagely at quarterback, uh, Kansas City's defense could be for a, in for a long day. Um, this is a situation that having Andy Reid as a head coach previously in Philadelphia could be a nightmare for the uh, Chiefs fans because their offense is not really vertical. It's more horizontal, left and right, outflanking the defense. Um, their speed on that still is defense that can pretty much match almost everybody on Kansas City's offense with the exception of Tyreek Hill. If he gets going, Kansas City can keep this close and withstand a chance at beating Pittsburgh. But uh, overall, I'm going to stick with the Steelers here, beating the Chiefs in a close one. I will tell you, Neil, that uh, this is the second postseason meeting between the two teams. The previous matchup was in 1994. The Chiefs beat the Steelers 27-24 in overtime at Arrowhead, uh, I could see a similar result in this game. Yeah, uh, I'm sure the guys mentioned it in their superfan battle, but they did play, of course, in week four. Uh, and in that game, Roethlisberger was nearly perfect with 152 passer rating, five touchdowns, no interceptions, and 300 yards passing. Uh, they just got no real pressure on Roethlisberger that day. And even Bell, I think he had an eight-yard average, 144 yards in that game, so uh, that's a big that's a big turnaround uh, point wise to make in this game. But I okay, that was at Pittsburgh. This one's in Kansas. I like the Chiefs. I think they do well on all sides of the ball. Uh, they seem to get uh, a lot of special teams play. Jay, one of your favorites, and yeah, I'm going to take the Chiefs, 31 24. And I think the key player in this game is going to be Justin Houston. And did we have an injury update for Houston? Is he going to play? Unknown right now. He's listed as questionable. Mm. He'll be the key player for them. They've got to get pressure on Roethlisberger. All right, uh, Robert, what are your thoughts here on this one? Uh, Tough game. Uh, Kind of flip-flopping on who to take. I think ultimately uh, I'm going to go with Kansas City uh, just because they've had a week to kind of, you know, men to the injuries a little bit their special teams are pretty pretty fantastic as well and i think this is going to be a tight game that comes down to something like that Uh, i think there's going to be points scored on both ends um and just kind of in my gut i feel like uh, kansas city pulls off something something like 27 24 you know something that higher 20 range kevin what do you got um, I mean, one of my, my favorite Kansas City stats to uh, to say when, when applicable is that Andy Reid is 19-2 and two off of bye in the regular and postseason combined. Um, so that uh, that obviously is, is something that should be comforting to Chiefs fans. Um, and Arrowhead is one of the toughest stadiums to play in the NFL. 
and Ben Roethlisberger, we were talking about the Seahawks not really being the same team on the road. The Steelers are nowhere – their offense is nowhere close to as explosive on the road as they are at home. And I think, I, I think Neil said that they, the, the week four regular season matchup was in Pittsburgh. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, and the Pittsburgh, everyone knows, they blew the doors off the Chiefs that game. But Roethlisberger's um, stats on the road, I believe they're like nine touchdowns, eight, eight picks, um, mid-70s quarterback rating. Pretty much uh, similar stats to what Brock Osweiler gave you the entire year. I'm not saying he morphs into uh, Brock Osweiler 2.0 on the road, but he's significantly, significantly worse on the road than he is at home this year. Um, and the, the Chiefs' defense is very opportunistic. Um, I'm, I'm not sure where they they stand in turnover differential at the end of the season, but I know towards the, the later part of the season, they, they were definitely in the top three with a plus 10 or 11 turnover margin. Um, Derek Johnson not playing does worry me though, um, because he's the heart and soul of that defense. Uh, he's their best, one of their best rush defenders and Le'Veon Bell, as we just saw last week, completely ran all over the Miami Dolphins defense. Um, and the chiefs weak, their, their weak part, if they do have a weak part on defense is, is their rushing defense. Um, not as bad as Miami's, but it's, it's not, um, inspiring to say the least. Um, but I just, I just think it's the Kansas City's year. Um, after a uh, loss, that, that brutal loss to Andrew Luck in the playoffs two years ago, their loss last year in the playoffs to, to the Patriots, I think, I think it's Kansas City's time to, to, to win a playoff game this year, and they will make it to the AFC Championship game and go into New England and most likely lose, but I might change my mind before next week. Um, Let's not get ahead of also, ourselves. I'm we sorry. still have a very uh, tough matchup against the Houston Texans. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's not look me. ahead. I, I, I don't want to jinx. Yeah, jinx. the Patriots got a double oh, buy in the playoffs. Let's just be real about this. <laughs> and, and also, it, it, an interesting stat: Tyreek Hill has scored a 60-yard touchdown in the last four in his last four games. Um, and Pittsburgh's defense is prone to give up the big play, um, especially passing-wise. Um, I mean, they have improved throughout the year defensively, but they're still, they're still not um, a very good defensive team. They can definitely be beat. Um, as Casey Hayward is out for the whole, he's been out for the whole season for a while now. I think um, Ryan Shazier, he's always banged up. He's going to play, but he's always banged up. Um, and I just, for some reason, I just really like the chiefs this year. Um, Andy Reid's a lovable guy. What do you want me to say? Uh, there's lots of reasons to like the Chiefs in this one. Patrick, what are your thoughts? Um, I like the Chiefs. Like, um, I don't have anywhere near the passion, but uh, I'll take the Chiefs in it. <laughs> uh, I'll just add a few more things. Uh, this is one of those. Uh, this is one of those stats that I hate. It's it's like a made up stat. But you mentioned uh, Tyree Kill. Uh, he is the only player in NFL history with three plus receiving touchdowns, three plus rushing touchdowns, and three total kick return touchdowns. He has six receiving touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns, and two punt returns for a touchdown and one kick return for a touchdown. Um, oh, in other words, that, don't kick to him. 
<laughs> yeah, you might yeah, want to avoid Tyreek Hill on special teams. And then the other stat that I've been mentioning in all these games, uh, the Chiefs do have the uh, takeaway lead plus 16 versus plus five for the Steelers. Uh, so I do like my boyfriends at home in Arrowhead. By the way, I haven't mentioned weather at all. Obviously, weather doesn't matter in Atlanta. I saw the report for Boston uh, just looks like it's going to be cold. There was an initial report that we we're going to have some snow perhaps Saturday evening, but that looks like that's not going to happen. Uh, Kansas City, however, it will be 36 degrees and rain in the forecast, uh, which always makes for a fun game. Neil, did you have something to add here? I just wanted to say, I think uh, uh, Kevin mentioned that uh, Casey Hayward will be out of this game, and he did have three sacks uh, and seven tackles in the first game they played earlier in the season. Mm. So a big miss. And and also in the first game, I just wanted to say, keeping up with uh, the Kardashians himself, Travis Kelsey, he only had three catches for, I believe, 25 yards. And in the, the last half of the season, Travis Kelsey has been – I mean, he's been the best tight end in football, and it's pretty. It's not even really close. At one point, he had four or five um, straight hundred-yard games. Um, so, and Pittsburgh's not particularly good at defending the tight end. Um, so, Travis Kelsey, I think he's in line for a big game again today. Um, so, between him and Kelsey, I, I just I see the the Chiefs being able to put up enough points. All right. The final game on the docket is the Green Bay Packers at the Dallas Cowboys. This one will kick off at, uh, is it 4.30 kickoff? Yes, 4.40 to be exact. Uh, And we have Kevin, and he'll be joined now by Green Bay Brian. Uh, Just to peel the curtain back a little bit for all of you, uh, these two guys gave me a 30-minute file to edit down for your listening pleasure. So... uh, just know that you are not going to hear 30 minutes of uh, Kevin well, I think, Jay, what, breaking What down. you'll actually find was it, it was 29 and a half minutes of Kevin and half a minute of Brian. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. That definitely sounds about right. Uh, but, give the people okay. what they want. <laughs> but in any case, here is the uh, Packers and the Cowboys superfan battle. Welcome to the NFC Divisional um, Podcast. Um, this is uh, Kevin, and I'm here with Brian tonight. Um, sorry if I'm a little stuffy. I'm a, I'm a little sick sick today, everyone. So I'm, I, I may not be on my A game, but I will try my hardest. But um, Brian, how, how are you tonight? I'm feeling all right. Uh, looking forward to our game this weekend. I think it'll probably be the best game uh, as far as uh, the drama and scoring goes, if it goes how I'm expecting. Yeah, I mean, I would I would tend to agree with you. Um, th- this will be the eighth time in playoff history the Cowboys and Packers will will face off. Obviously, the Packers taking that um that the last one in 2014 that that took a few years off my life. But the Cowboys do hold the the series lead in the playoffs four to three. That's worth nothing, but it makes me feel a little bit better. Um, but let let's just start with with you um, because I, I guess the biggest storyline here, besides the fact that it's a, a divisional playoff game, is Jordy Nelson doesn't look like he's going to play. Yeah, it was really tough watching him after that hit. You could tell right away that he was in a lot of pain. 
Um, I, he spent the night in the hospital, uh, reportedly, and I've heard varying reports ranging from broken ribs to uh, some internal uh, organ damage. Uh, none of it's really been confirmed. McCarthy's been talking about, well, if he he's going to be in rehab for most of the week, but if he can get through the walkthrough on Saturday, he might be able to play. I think that is totally bogus. It sounds like 100% uh, coach speak and really just trying to, to games work gamesmanship against the Cowboys. If we can get them to waste a single rep, I think it's worth every every time we can we can try to bring that up. So um, I I think that it is going to be a challenge for us. Uh, in the receiving game, not just because Jordy Nelson's a great player. We've got pretty good depth behind him uh, with Devontae Adams. Randall Cobb had a big coming out party last week. He, I think he doubled his touchdown production on the year. Yeah, he had a really quiet year from touchdown perspective. Um, Geronimo Allison has been emerging with a quarterback, really trusts him. Uh, and Jared Cook, too, it will be a, a nice receiving option for the quarterback. Um, but all that said, the Cowboys actually have a pretty good secondary. And did I read that Morris Claiborne might be back for this game? Uh, you did read read that. Uh, Morris Claiborne looks like it's um, all systems go for him. He's missed the last nine weeks. And he was playing by far the best football of his career um, in, in the beginning of this season. Um, dare I say he, he was Pro Bowl bound before he suffered that injury. Um, I mean, there was, there was nothing really you could say to crit- criticize about Mo Claiborne the first seven games of the season. He was simply playing lights out football. Um, but I do expect some rust from him. I mean, after all, it's been over two months. Um, and not only is Mo Claiborne back, it looks like um, J.J. Wilcox um, Barry Church, um, Anthony Brown, and Orlando Skandrick. All, all of those guys are finally going to be playing for the first time and healthy all year together. Um, wow. So that does inspire some confidence. But n- honestly, not too much because the, the defensive side of, of the football, and, and um, of course the offensive side too, you just need reps together. You need cohesion. And I just don't think Obviously, with this the first time, they're all going to be active the same game. They're they're going to be at full full strength. Or um, so it, it, I mean, it, it is obviously a good thing, but it's it's not as uh, um, like positive as some of the media reports would would let on. Um, I mean, and Rogers is just playing lights out right now. He is a one twenty one point seven passer rating. Everyone knows that he's he's playing perhaps the best football of his career the last, um, whatever, six, seven games. And that's saying something. Um, so the Cowboys secondary is definitely going to need to be on top of their game. Um, I mean, in general, I mean, the secondary gave up some, some big plays this year. Um, Anthony Brown, the rookie, although he did have a pretty effective rookie season, um, he did get a, he did get burned a lot, um, particularly one that stands out is on Thanksgiving Day when Deshaun Jackson just completely left him left him in the dust, um, 70, 75-yard touchdown. So the Cowboys secondary, although improved from recent years, 
is definitely still an area of concern for me coming into this game because Rodgers looks unstoppable. Um, and even though Jordy is out, as we just discussed, Randall Cobb and Devontae Adams have killed the Cowboys before. In 2014, uh, Randall Cobb had eight grabs for 116 yards in that divisional game, and Devontae had seven grabs for 117 yards in the touchdown. So they're, as you said, they're more than more than competent enough to, I mean, not replace, but step up and perform at a higher level in Jordy's absence. Um, so that still scares me. Um, one thing that I will say, though, your secondary has been a little bit banged up and struggled most of the year, um, I would say. I know they struggled in the, in, in the middle of the year. Um, I think they got some some people back at the end, but how how is the, the health of your secondary looking coming into this game? And um, how are you feeling about going up against Des Bryant? Because you guys, uh, you guys missed out on him in the regular season because he was dealing with a little injury there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We we have been pretty banged up all year, really since game one when Sam Shields went down. Um, the guys we got in there now are playing pretty good football, but, you know, it's the fourth and fifth type guys. Uh, Ladarius Gunter, I think, is probably playing the best of anybody uh, in our secondary. He's a second-year undrafted player, but a guy who has really surprisingly been able to um, – use his skill set to to defend some pretty good receivers. He shut down uh Odell last week. Uh or, you know, Odell to a certain extent shut down himself. Um but the plays where Odell wasn't dropping passes, Ladarius was on pretty good coverage on him. Um I think he held him to about twenty yards. Uh so he's been really surprising because he's so slow. He's unbelievably slow for a cornerback, especially on the outside. I think he ran like a four, seven or like a four, eight 40 time. So somehow though, he has found a way uh, to play pretty good defense. Uh, the last couple of games, um, Demarius Randall is playing. He's been pretty banged up in and out of a lot of games this year. Uh, so I wonder how close to hundred percent he is. And then we just got a bunch of athletic safety types that we're trying to plug in. Micah Hyde uh, has been uh, kind of the Swiss army shoe for the green Bay Packers defense. And um, same thing with Morgan Burnett. We've been moving him around. He's spent some time in the slot. He plays a little linebacker. He plays some steep safety when we need him to. Um, so the the depth of our safety crew uh, has really allowed us to kind of hide up some of the uh, deficiencies we have on the on the outside in our cornerback position, uh, just given their uh, overall athleticism. So how they match up against the Cowboys, um, you know, you look at it on paper and it probably doesn't look too good if we got Ladarius Gunter trying to match up against Des. I do expect... Um, on passing downs uh we will try to give some more um help to gunter uh when he has to cover des with some safety coverage over the top but ultimately i think for the packers to be successful it's gonna have to start uh by shutting down the run and that's much easier said than done so i don't know could you talk a little bit about what you're expecting from the dallas cowboy offensive line and and ezekiel elliott i'm expecting and you're expecting everyone's expecting the cowboys 
are going to want to run the ball, of course. I mean, in the Week 6 matchup, um, Zeke had 28 carries for almost 160 yards, I believe. Um, so, of, of course, that's gonna, we're going to try to follow a similar recipe there. But although, I mean, your secondary is a little banged up, but on the flip side, it, it seems that your your front seven, Clay Matthews looks like he's getting a little healthier. Nick Perry's back in the lineup. So you guys definitely have a better front seven than than um, back half of your defense. So you do match up better, I guess, if you against uh, our run than you do against the pass. But the week six matchup, I guess, doesn't really paint such a favorable light. I mean, you can't expect the the Cowboys to rush for 158, 168 yards again. Zeke's going to get his. Um, it's going to come down to Dak not making mistakes in this game, I think. And he showed throughout the whole regular season that with his four interceptions, um, that he, he knows how to take care of the football. And he's going to need to do that in this game because we can't give Aaron Rodgers extra possessions. We need to stay on the football field. We need our defense to play less snaps than your defense. Um, I really think this is going to be a high-scoring football game. And I think we can really throw out all the stats and everything except for Rodgers versus the Cowboys defense. Really, that's what it's going to come down to. Almost everything, I would say, the Cowboys have the advantage in. We can definitely beat your secondary. Our rushing offense is better than your rushing offense. You guys almost have no rushing offense. The Cowboys have the number one rushing defense. But all that doesn't matter. We need to stop Rodgers, and I'm not 100% sure we can. Your offensive line is one of the strong points of your team, and the Cowboys' fast rush has been a problem at times this season, although at the end of the season we sort of found ourselves 16 sacks the, the last five games of the year, and we're getting – Demarcus Lawrence back, Tyrone Crawford and Terrell McClain back, who have missed the last three, four games respectively. Um, so that's going to be huge. Last time we had a po- this preview podcast, we were saying I haven't seen Rodgers play this bad in a while. Um, so how the tides have turned. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with Rodgers. Um, he is playing as good as he has ever played, I think. Uh, and I think if he continues to play that well, we're going to be able to compete with anybody. Um, there were a few plays last week where there's literally nothing you could, the giants could have done to defend it. Um, that touchdown to Devonte Adams, uh, to start the game for us. Um, there's literally, a, a couple inches of space where you can throw that ball. And then to have the, the defenders trying to rush for six, seven, eight, nine seconds. Um, he's, he's bound to find somebody open. And the interesting thing, if anybody goes back and watches that play, I'm not so sure that the way that that play was called was for Rogers to get the snap and kind of dance around, kill some time. Because if you watch Devonte Adams route on that play, he kind of just lollygags into the end zone uh, and sort of shifts back and forth a little bit and then kind of makes a break to the outside when he sees Rogers run. So I, I almost wonder if they're, working on and game planning for a few plays that are really just ad hoc that they make up uh, based on Rogers athleticism. Um, So I think if he stays hot, 
good luck to anybody that tries to stop us. Um, but that's, that's going to be a tough thing to do. You know, we've been playing, um, lights out for the last six games, but we haven't really had a buy since week three. And that's a long grind. I kind of just think part of me thinks that, um, you know, the hourglass is running out here and there'll be a regression to the mean. The other thing I wanted to talk a little bit about is kind of what we plan to, what I think we plan to do in the running game or uh, kind of a, a concept um, that I had thought about earlier. Um, you know, we did lose Jordy last week and we only have so many wide receivers. Now, I wonder if we try to play Ty Montgomery back at wide receiver to help compensate for some of that. He was a guy who got a little banged up last week. He, uh, looked like a really bad ankle injury. And for whatever reason, he was back in the game late. He must've felt okay. Um, but I wonder if we try to try to take him out of the tackle box and try to protect his health a little bit and compensate for uh, the obvious wide receiver downgrade we're looking at by trying to plug him back into the position that he was uh, schooled in and went through most of training camp in. The other thing I wanted to talk about too was with the running game, Kristen Michael, uh, I think we kind of need to take the reins a little bit more off of him. Uh, he has given us a spark at pretty much every time he touches the ball. He's just a, he's a fireball. He's a ball of energy and um, kind of gets the rest of the team fired up. Uh, and he sort of has uh, a tendency to, to just run the first place that he sees, whether it's uh, blocked well or not, I don't think he reads the the run blocking particularly well, but he finds a way to, to maintain a healthy average. And I think that's one way um, that we might be able to try to, you know, keep the Cowboys defense honest. I would want, want you to name uh, an X factor, if you will. Could it be Christine I mean, Michael? I guess it could Christian be. Michael? It's not somebody that you would normally think of. And I when I think about X factors, that's usually what I'm trying to Joe Thomas, uh, inside linebacker, obviously with the state of uh, the running game in Dallas and, um, you know, Jason Witten and Cole Beasley. I think having that uh, field general in the middle of the field for us, he could, uh, he has the potential to step into uh, the spotlight against the Cowboys. I'm going to go on the defensive side for the Cowboys also. I'm going to go with Anthony Hitchens. He's very. He's a pretty inconsistent player. Sometimes he makes he makes very big plays, but a lot of the times he doesn't have the best awareness um, or the best play recognition, um, and he loses people people in space, loses people in coverage. So I think he's going to have to have a better than average game and definitely cut down on some of the mistakes he usually makes. Um, and I'm going to just predict a score here. I said earlier in this preview, I think it's going to be a high scoring game and I think both teams are going to score over 30. Um, I'm going to put 35, 32 Dallas winning here. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pick against the Cowboys. Now we 13 and three home field advantage. The everlasting image of the Packers defense for me this season will be Marcus Mariota carving them up. And that's just something I think the Cowboys, they're not going to lose to that defense. Well, I'm going to disagree a little bit. I think the Packers offense is better. And I think the defense has turned the ball over against the other team an awful lot the last five or six weeks. That's kind of coincides with our turnaround is uh, a change in the turnover differential. Um, I think, I think the Packers are going to win and I think it's going to be a high scoring game too. Um, 
first, we need to get up on Dallas and try to force them away from the run. If we can get a 10 or a 13 or 14 point lead, um, at that point, we could really uh, kind of pin our ears back and and have to devote less attention to Zeke and really put the ball in uh, Dak Prescott's hands to, to beat us. And if he can beat us, then you got to kind of tip your cap. I wonder a little bit too with your team being young at some of the more marquee positions, if the extra long buy uh, is a detriment. You know, you had the week off last week, and then I think, you know, Dak and Zeke only played a couple of series the week before yeah. that. So yeah, it's a long time to take off, especially for, for a young player. Um, so I wonder, we'll, we'll see kind of if they can, if they have any rust. I, I do think Aaron Rodgers is going to be the, the bellwether for this game. If he stays hot, there is no stopping Green Bay. There were, like I said, there were plays last week and really for the last four or five weeks where you just have to kind of throw your hands up as a defense and... There's nothing you can do to stop it. I think only we can stop ourselves. I think the Packers will win another high-scoring affair. Uh, I'm picking Packers in the upset, 31, Cowboys 27. Worst of luck to you. <laughs> hey, right back at no. you, Kevin. No, no, yeah. Um, talk to you later. So there we go. The Packers have won five of the past six <laughs> in this series, Patrick. Uh, and I was sort of leaning heavily towards them as the only road team, well, as the road team with the best chance of pulling off the upset. But I don't know. This is a this is an interesting matchup for sure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's tough to argue against the Packers. The Jordy Nelson injury, like, like I know they played well without him, and they adjusted on the fly and. If you want somebody to adjust on the fly, I think Rodgers is kind of your guy. He's like this generation's John Elway, um, but that's gotta that's gotta be hurtful. Like going into a playoff game down your your best offensive target. Um, still though, like I'm 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 gonna take Rodgers in the divisional round. Um, just I, I guess I'm falling falling into the trap of trusting that your quarterback is going to, to win a game for you and ignoring the fact that, you know, you got, you got 21 other guys involved. Um, but still I'll go Packers. You know, I don't know if Kevin brought this up uh, in the 30 minutes that uh, he spent with Brian or if I edited Probably. out of his super fan battle. Uh, but you look at the Packers in their last five, 38, 30, 38, 31, 38. Cowboys in their last five, 17, 7, 26, 42, 13. Uh, so scoring advantage is heavily weighted towards the Green Bay Packers. James, what's the... Doesn't really mean much. James, what's the latest injury update for the Cowboys? Uh, the Cowboys pretty much uh, just three people all on def- uh, yeah, all on defense. Uh, Morris Claiborne, the corner, has a sports hernia. He confirmed that he will play Sunday against the Packers. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence, defensive end, has a back injury. He's expected to play. And uh, Tyrone Crawford, the defensive uh, tackle, has a shoulder injury and is also expected to play. Uh, all three probably limited in practice this week. On the Packers side, we talked about Jordy Nelson. Uh, he's pretty much the biggest injury right now for them. Uh, says that he has at least two fractured ribs. And uh, um, probably if he can gut it out and put on some extra padding, you might see him on the field at least try to give it a go. 
Uh, other members of the Packers showing up in the injury report are James Stark, Quentin Rollins, the corner, and Jeff Janis, wide receiver. Um, but uh, all of practice so far this week. Um, last time these two teams played, albeit it was in Green Bay, I just remember Ezekiel Elliott just pretty much putting his footprints all on the backs of the Packers' defense. They couldn't stop him if they wanted to. Um, and offensively, you know, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, they were completely out of sync. They couldn't find their rhythm or get anything jump-started. And on a, over the last six weeks of the season, and, of course, the last three quarters of the game against the New York Giants this past weekend, they were clicking on all cylinders, even without Jordy Nelson. Do I expect that to continue? Yes. Dallas's defense is not a world beater, but they are middle of the pack, and they can be had. The flip side, though, is that Packers' defense can't stop or at least the last time these two teams played each other, they show no willingness to even try to stop Ezekiel Elliott. Um, I don't think he was contacted within like the first three yards of him getting the ball past the line of scrimmage. Um, he was breaking tackles. He was running over people. Uh, a couple of long runs in there. I uh, believe he scored it twice. Uh, that pretty much took all the pressure off of Dak Prescott to allow him to at least have, you know, an average passing game, you know, when these two teams played each other. I'm going to go with Dallas as the home team, mainly because their running game has pretty much been the most dominant thing this season that you could count on week in and week out to generate any type of offense. The Packers, defensively, they can't get that under wraps, and it causes rhythm issues with Aaron Rodgers and his receiving core, whether Nelson plays or doesn't play. They're not going to have a chance at you know, keeping this game close because they can quickly find themselves down 10 to 14 points easily if Zeke gets off one big run. So. I don't like doing it because they're in my division, but I'm going to go with Dallas here. Uh, Neil, Kevin did get to mention that the Cowboys lead the all-time postseason uh, uh, series. They're up 4-3 to three on the Packers. What he failed to mention is that the all-time series between these two teams, including the postseason, <laughs> is locked up 17-17. to 17. Well, that's that's having a major impact on my decision here, Jay. Uh, I would, I would, uh, I would say I think James. Well, first of all, I think Patrick was quite right. Missing Jordy Nelson is going to have a big impact uh, on, on on the Packers' offense, no question. I think I think uh, Aaron Rodgers will still get his. He'll still get his yards. Still get a couple of touchdowns. But uh, I think James nailed it there when he said, you know, in the first game, I think. Dallas rushed for over 190 yards in that game, and I'm not sure the Green Bay's defense can can stop that uh, that running attack, that time of possession game. And yeah, I feel this game is more about Green Bay's defense than Green Bay's offense, and I don't think they'll do it. And as much as I, as much as it pains me, uh, also James to say it, I think Dallas will win this game uh, in a close one. But for me, the most annoying part of this game is going to be having to listen to uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on Fox. Because when Dallas, when they're commentating on Dallas, it's just vomit-inducing. <laughs> no, it Green really Bay is. Fans not like about that. Green Bay fans actually started a petition to, to ban Joe Buck and Troy Aikman from doing the game on Sunday. <laughs> oh, my God. I'll, I'll sign that one. Wow. <laughs> All right, Rob. He has a few thousand signatures. What, who do you got in this one, Rob? Uh, this game, I, I like Dallas. Um, I just think that Green Bay is going to have a lot of trouble uh, stopping Ezekiel Elliott. They've had the extra week to kind of rest up injuries. They're at home. 
And even if, you know, they load the box and force Prescott to pass, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to put Gunter one-on-one on Des Bryant? Like, I, I feel that Dallas just matches up real well against Green Bay's defensive deficiencies. And I think that uh, they're going to wear them down and they're going to win this game. Hmm. Yep. I'm still sort of torn here. I think I'm going to stick with my initial gut instincts. And I'm going to take Green Bay to pull off the uh to pull off the upset here. Um although I am a little bit concerned about those injuries uh for the Packers, especially the Jordy Nelson injury. Cowboys seem to be well rested. They seem to be ready to go. They have the upper hand in the fact that they did go to Lambeau. Uh, and and stomp on the Packers in Lambeau. Uh, now they're at home. How much of that stadium, though, is really a home field advantage for the Cowboys, uh, uh, that's, Kevin? That's a, that's a that's a good point, and I did bring that up in the in the super fan battle. I brought up in 2014 when we had a home game against uh, interstate rival Houston Texans. I'm pretty sure that there was way there was significantly more Texans fans in the stadium than Dallas fans. Um, the Cowboys actually had to use a silent count in that game, um, silent snap count at home, which is just um, preposterous to do at home. Um, so, but I, I, I do think that Zeke and Dak Prescott have re-energized the Cowboys fan base. Um, I mean, not that the Cowboys fan base really needed any re-energizing; they're pretty much all over the country, but. I think they have sort of, I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say, but I, I definitely think that they have, uh, yeah, they've, they've re-energized the Dallas area and to get real fans to come to the games because the last few years, the Cowboys have not really had a home field advantage. I mean, last time we made it to the, to the divisional round, we were 4-4 four and four at home and we were 8-0 and oh on the road. Um, so yeah, you're completely right. Our home field advantage isn't really as meaningful as other teams. Um, but this year I believe it's a little bit different and I, I just think the Cowboys are a better team than the Packers. Um, yeah, Aaron Rodgers is the, as everyone might say, the best thrower of the football in NFL history, but I just don't think he can beat the Cowboys by himself. Um, He's been on this this role of his for for way too long. It's going to come to an end this week. And if this this is probably the most important stat that you'll hear all all week in 2014, Tony Romo actually had a better quarterback rating than Rodgers in that playoff game by 20 points. So Tony Tony Romo, if he needs to come in, oh boy, we we got we got we got a real real gunslinger in, in there. <laughs> I mean, hey, no, hey yeah. Kevin. How many times? Yeah. How many times did you mention? How many times did you mention Romo in your superfan battle? Five, exactly. six, none, seven. N- none, none at all. Which is why I had to bring him bring him up just now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So there you go. That's the uh, that's the week that is the divisional round playoffs. Uh, if you want to uh, compete in something against us super fans, uh, you can go to a playoff challenge uh, on the uh, NFL.com. Uh, we have a group there. You just uh, sign up for the NFL Playoff Challenge. Search for the Next Fan Up group. Uh, it's a very small group currently, uh, and it is currently being led by uh, by a Nick. 
Uh, oh, of course. Now the oh, come on. Oh, my computer just didn't do what I wanted it to do. Um, and as I try and reload this, here we go. Well, you will browse those web pages, Jay. <laughs> no, I won't. Uh, Nick is currently leading the group, uh, followed by some gentleman named Pod Vader. Uh, the next obvious uh, super fan that I can see is Houston James uh, sitting at number four. Uh, and as I mentioned to some of our super fans uh, at one point on Slack, we do have a, a woman in the group. Uh, she's currently placed at number nine, uh, not doing so well after week one, but week two is a little bit different because if you keep any of the players from week one that are still alive in week two, you get two times the points uh, this week. I will even share with you my lineup i'm going with uh, tom brady a no-brainer there i'm keeping levy and bell in my lineup despite the fact that i think the steelers will end up losing Legarrette blunt it goes into my lineup antonio brown remains in my lineup julian edelman travis kelsey steven guskowski and the new england patriots going heavy with the patriots this week i think makes a lot of sense uh, for your fantasy uh needs the next item on the docket here to discuss, there's been a few news items here in the last week. Uh, the biggest one that's happening uh, right now, today, it is the Los Angeles Chargers of San Diego. I thought this was a weird letter uh, that was sent from uh, the Chargers owner, Dean Spanos. It's on Twitter, and you can find it actually at the uh, at, at Chargers on Twitter. Uh, they officially changed their name to... Los Angeles Chargers on Twitter. So uh, I guess uh, I guess it really is a, a thing. Um, but he wrote, uh, after much deliberation, I've made the decision to relocate the Chargers to Los Angeles beginning with the 2017 NFL season. San Diego has been our home for 56 years. It will always be a part of our identity and my family and I have nothing but gratitude and appreciation for the support and passion of our fans. Uh, who have shared with us over the years. But today we turn the page and begin an exciting new era as the Los Angeles Chargers. If he had ended the letter there, I would have been like, okay, that's that's nice. But instead he goes on to say, LA is a remarkable place. And while we played our first season there in 1960 and have had fans there ever since, our entire organization knows that we have a tremendous amount of work to do. We must earn the respect and support of L.A. football fans. We must get back to winning, and we must make a meaningful contribution, not just on the field, but off the field as a leader and champion for the community. The Chargers are determined to fight for L.A., and we're excited to get started. In other words, he just gave two big middle fingers to the entire San Diego community. What the heck is that? It's like he wrote it last night in the middle of the night and had to jot down, and he didn't bother to structure them or to Side. you know what i'm actually sending a bunch of mixed messages here or, or maybe like the first half of it was written by pr and then he just tacked on some some like extemporaneous angry thoughts at the end like what does this guy do for a living like prior to owning the team that he would write a letter like that i i mean you could have been a little bit nicer to san diego and be like hey look we didn't have a choice mm-hmm. um you know, we, we we're really up. We're really sorry about this, but no. I mean, they've now even changed their uh, their their picture uh, to their new logo, uh, which clearly. Have you guys seen the logo? Uh, the, the oh yeah, LA with the oh, lightning bolt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it looks like, like what Harry Potter's looks logo like would look like. Yeah, 
Yes, yeah. Harry Potter's logo. Well done. Thank you. I like it. Professional Quidditch. Um. <laughs> so yeah, did you know? I I reached out to Ken. Has anyone seen if Ken uh, had a reaction here? I still sleeping it off. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine he had uh, copious amounts of soda pops last night, and uh, he's still uh, sleeping West Coast time. Oh, look at it's this. one of those. Oh, sorry, I, I've been distracted by a, a note from James, uh, who tells me that uh, Greg Norman uh, is going to become the new offensive coordinator with the Ravens. The golfer? <laughs> yes. Greg uh, Roman? <laughs> no, the, the former offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Roman is going to become the did offensive they, coordinator. Did they announce earlier that well, not the OC? He's joining the team, but not the but not his OC. They didn't say what position? Uh, That's like an assistant coach. It's probably going to be an assistant coaching role. Yeah. Um, it just says he's joining the team, but not in the OC position, which he'll probably uh, be elevated to at some point when the Ravens offense struggles next year. He'll be the, yeah, he'll be the OC in like week seven. They love right. switching OCs in Baltimore. <laughs> well, I mean, you can at least give them golf lessons. <laughs> He's a shark. Uh, but uh, as, as we as we switch the conversation now to new coaches and new places, we do have a new head coach in Denver, and that is Vance Joseph. He was the defensive coordinator in Miami. Patrick, how was that Dolphins defense this year in the AFC East? I liked Kiko Alonso. Does that count for anything? No, <laughs> wow, really. Really, you so do I. His we name? Sean McCoy for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kiko Kiko Alonso is a native of uh, Massachusetts. He's from like twenty miles away from here, so like he gets uh, he gets some extra stats in my head. Uh, Lewis, our Denver superfan, sent in uh, these thoughts. My my initial thought uh, was that of disappointment. I didn't want to let Coach Wade Phillips leave. Uh, once the uh, Dolphins superfan, that would be Andy, uh, gave uh, Lewis more insight on his tendencies, I feel a lot more comfortable. He's aggressive, and that's what we need our coach to be. He has the talent on defense to work. The question for Denver is, do we need to improve our offense or continue to try to make our defense elite? Hopefully, Coach Joseph can make our defense elite. I'm curious to know who we hire as offensive coordinator. There are rumors that it will most likely be Chargers, former Chargers head coach Mike McCoy, uh, who was the offensive coordinator in Denver previously, uh, and Lewis would like to see that happen. Um, so, I mean, is this really a big upgrade here for the uh, Denver Broncos, Robert? I don't think it's an upgrade. Um, I like Kubiak. Maybe I'm in the minority, but I, I think Kubiak is a good coach. Um, and, Was. you know, he knows L.A. really well. So they obviously had that symmetry, uh, you know, between coach and GM. Um, Vance Johnson, I, I mean, he, you know, he's a blitzing type guy, you know, and he's going to have a lot more weapons to play with on defense in Denver. But I wasn't terribly impressed with uh, the defense in Miami. I mean, I don't think the Bills have the greatest offense in the world, but both games that we played against them, you know, we were able to move the ball, you know, pretty easily and effectively. You know, we lost both games, but we're the Bills. We lose a lot of games. Um, the other head coach, uh, well, since we're talking with you, Rob, is in Buffalo, where Sean McDermott, the former defensive coordinator in Carolina, will be coming up to uh, head your team. So happy. So happy. Not even necessarily so much for Sean McDermott, although I 
thought other than Anthony Lynn, who was just, you know, kind of the continuity pick, that was kind of the guy that I wanted. But, man, just he's the exact opposite of Rex Ryan. Uh, Rex Ryan, you know, he treats the NFL coaching position like it's a nine to five job. You know, there are no stickler for the details uh, in him, you know, and McDermott, you know, he's no luster, but he's a, you know, a discipline or, you know, uh, guy. He's a detail oriented guy, um, which is great. So we don't have to worry about, um, you know, opposing running backs hit, breaking us off for 70 yard runs when we have 10 people on the field in overtime, you know, things like that, that would only happen if you're uh, coached by Rex Ryan. Um, I think that the Bills personnel fits a 4-3 defense better than a 3-4. I think Rex was just trying to fit, you know, square pegs into round holes. Um, so I think the defense will improve, you know, just because of that. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens off- offensively. Um before Vance Joseph was hired in Denver, and it looks like maybe uh, McCoy is going to go there to be the OC. You know, they were saying that uh, McDermott and McCoy were kind of a package deal. Um, it doesn't seem like that's the case. I don't know if maybe the Bills will reach out, you know, to Musgrave. Um, I did see Mike Silver say um, North Turner, which I would hate. Uh, but then he kind of backpedaled on that a little bit. Um so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Why would happens. you hate Norv Turner as the OC? He seems to do a pretty good job at the offensive coordinator spot. Uh, because his, uh, he likes that kind of vertical passing game. And um, I'm assuming the Bills aren't going to keep Tyrod Taylor um, just based on, you know, their actions um, over the past couple weeks, whether I agree with it or not, but whatever. And I think that that means that they're going to have some, you know, middling, not good quarterback you know, kind of lead this team. And I would not like to see, you know, uh, not, you know, uh, not that good quarterback work in a vertical passing game like North Turner usually does. I mean, so you're saying that Patrick is going back to Buffalo? <laughs> yeah, that's a, well, that's a genuine concern at this point. <laughs> James, I'll, I'll, I was surprised. I'll, well, let me ask James a quick question about this because, because, uh, your team, James, that now has a rookie quarterback uh, who had a pretty decent year, and, and your your team looks to be on the build. Do you think that this is what? Do you think a team like Buffalo needs to sort of suck for the next, you know, the next quarterback uh, du jour uh, in the next Super Bowl to sort of start their rebuilding process, or or do they have enough pieces in place? I don't know. I guess that was sort of a question aimed towards both of you. But, James, why don't you take it? Uh, as far as Buffalo goes, they have enough pieces in place to be a consistent playoff team year in and year out the way they are. Uh, they could stand to add a few pieces here and there. Um, consistent play at quarterback is something that would help no matter who's pulling the trigger over there. Uh, I thought they were going to go probably offensive-minded instead of an, another defensive head coach. Uh, that's not a side of the ball that really needs that much except for maybe consistency and discipline. Um, but they definitely have the personnel to be a top defense in the league. Um, like I said, on offense, they have the weapons. They just, you know, need a scheme that fits what they have. And, you know, that's probably why, you know, uh, the previous, you know, OC was getting flack before they uh, promoted Greg Norman, um, which is also my same concern in Denver as well when they hired uh, their new head coach uh, going defensively because one would figure that Elway would want to keep um, – 
the uh, defensive coordinator, um, whose name I'm forgetting right now, uh, Phillips. He want to keep Wade Phillips and just hire an offensive-minded head coach and just keep the defensive staff in place. Um, but who knows? Maybe Phillips stays on for a year or so, much like um, LeBeau did when Tomlin got hired in Pittsburgh just to ease that transition. Uh, both of these moves are a little bit puzzling, but I do understand what they're trying to do, you know, as far as elevate the other side of the ball that is already dominant and probably just make the offensive side of the ball a little bit more comparable to those defenses. So from this point forward, we don't know what the outcomes going to be long term until things play out. You know, we have another eight months to talk about it before, you know, these teams kick off again. Uh, overall, I think there were good moves um, as far as addressing uh, the, the personality of each team thus far, probably just, you know, not to rip off San Francisco, but changing the culture of the locker room and what was going on there. Uh, but off, I, I was expecting offensive-minded um, personnel to, rep- to be new coaches of both franchises. Uh, Patrick, uh, as we mentioned, you know, Jacksonville doesn't have a new head coach coming in. Doug Marone was the interim coach. He remains there. I think we mentioned last week that Tom Coughlin uh, joining as the vice president of operations, but you keep touting Jimmy Garoppolo for a first round pick to all of these teams. Yeah. Well, only because people won't listen to me talk about Tom Brady for two first round picks. (laughs) Uh, I I don't believe we're going to get a first round pick for Garoppolo. It'd be great if we did. Uh, Hey, seller's market, Jay. Well, you know, a lot of teams, a lot of teams, just they're one quarterback away. I mean, look at the Texans. If Jimmy Garoppolo were playing for the Texans, you think we'd have a 15 point line? Hmm. I'm not so sure about that. Robert, you're going to give up a first rounder for Garoppolo? No, no, no. I've long, my long thought with um, New England is that it has a lot to do. I think Tom Brady's a fantastic quarterback. Don't get me wrong. But I think um, that Belichick is, you know, the straw that stirs the drink, um, you know, with that team. And I think that um, someone is going to make a stupid decision and trade, you know, either a high second or a late first or something with New England. And they're going to benefit, you know, I mean, I just look at Matt Castle. They were able to get a second round pick for him. Um, And he he went to the Pro Bowl for for the uh, Chiefs. That wasn't a bad deal for the Chiefs. I disagree, but I, I mean, I think that I, and you, you, you won't admit you disagree too. You know, I think that Boston or um, I think that uh, the new England Patriots, you know, they're able to cultivate uh, someone like Garoppolo who looks, you know, fantastic in that small sample for them, you know, because of how well they do everywhere else. And I think that they're going to benefit because someone is going to make that trade. And I think that oh, yeah. they may be able to get a first round pick for him this year. And, you know, and kudos to them. And they're going to rip that team off. Hey, I will, I will put my money where my mouth is and I will very happily extend Jimmy Garoppolo and trade Tom Brady for two firsts. If you, if you would rather do that, I will. I would rather, happily... I would rather do that. <laughs> done. Done. That would be the <laughs> best decision that Bill Belichick could make. Um, by the way, for those of you on Twitter, uh, please do check out at Dan Rubenstein, uh, who has recreated the new L.A. Chargers of San Diego logo. Uh, so it looks like LOL. <laughs> oh, well done. Yeah, there's a couple of those out there. There's a lame one. I saw a couple of them. The Tampa Bay Lightning 
Um, if you've seen the logo, it looks like the uh, L.A. Dodgers logo uh, went out for drinks with the Tampa Bay Lightning logo. Uh, things got a little crazy, and uh, some things happened uh, to the point where the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, sent out a tweet saying, uh, no, me and the L- us and the L.A. Dodgers are just friends. Uh, so uh, we have breaking news. Neil has more. Uh, no, breaking news, Jay. I have, I have lots of questions about this coaching stuff. Uh, okay, go for it. I mean, the first, well, the first thing I would say is uh, uh, that Tom Coughlin is the vice executive president of whatever he is. Uh, it, that's a bit weird, no? That's the first thing I would say about Jacksonville's deal. Uh, then I would, already, I would ask... Uh, Ro- he's yeah, already put the Knicks on uh, one of uh, Marone's assistant hires. Marone wanted to hire uh, Donnie Henderson to be his defensive backs coach, and uh, Tom Coughlin told him no because they got into a huge argument in 2005. This is going to work out great. You just wonder yeah, you... Too many cooks in the store for this one. Yeah. You just wonder if that's what uh, not getting better looks like there in Jacksonville. Uh, <laughs> I, would, I would also go to back to Rob and say, uh, you know, Lynn looked like a shoe-in for that job, and uh, now he's not getting it. And is he going to get the Rams job, or where is he going? Uh, and then for I you, Jane. He had a second interview, I think, with the Rams and the Chargers. Um, I think the, today, I think, was the Chargers interview. I think he gets that job. Um, I think the Rams actually hire, uh, I think he's a Washington guy. Was it? Uh, yeah, Sean McVay. They're OC. Yeah, the young kid. Um, Sean McVay. I think yeah. Anthony yeah. Lynn gets it. Even if, if he doesn't, you know, hashtag Bill's Twitter, uh, saying, oh, maybe he'll come back and be the offensive coordinator. No way that happens. He got passed over for the job. He's not going to want to go back. And a new coach isn't going to want that type of divisiveness. Um, you know, so I would be shocked if he went back to the Bills as their OC. But I think he's going to get the uh, I think he's going to get the San Diego job. You don't think he ends up on the outside looking in when the carousel uh, finally stops? No, I think he I think he gets his, you know, he's there for a second interview. Um, I haven't heard of anyone else in San Diego getting a second interview. Well, I say San Diego, I guess L.A. now. Um, sure. You know, I so, you know, that says something. I think that uh, it's a guy that they like. He's been known to have had good interviews elsewhere this year and the year before. So I think that might be the guy that they're trying to, you know, you know, get. Yeah. And then, Jay, there are a couple of defensive guys uh, probably defensive coordinators in the end now, uh, Gus, Gus Bradley, uh, and also Wade Phillips was mentioned earlier. I wonder where they're going to go. And then just overall, uh, in this whole coaching uh, carousel, we've not heard anything really about uh, college coaches coming into the NFL. And I wonder this year if that's got to do with the Chip Kelly experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I would uh, I would agree. I think uh, I think teams have uh, cooled off uh, because of the Chip Kelly experience, and I don't think we're going to see uh, another uh, college coach unless it was someone like Nick Saban. Um, but of course, Saban already has NFL experience as well, too. Um, th- th- what, that what about that jump? Yeah, sure, sure. And and what about for you guys, you New England guys? Uh, is McDaniel's getting itchy feet seeing some of these positions being filled? No, I don't think so, Patrick. Um, tough to say. I mean, like he's in a position now where like he can he can kind of pick his job, right? So like like 
anywhere decent that he's going to want to go, I guess probably would have been Denver, except, you know, he probably doesn't feel very welcome there. Yeah, exactly. He got ran out of there in a rail. Um, You know, which ironically, like he built that team with the, um, you know, what really got him burned was uh, getting rid of Jay Cutler, which, you know, going back in time, I'm pretty sure people will be perfectly happy with that assessment that he made. But, um, no, nah, I mean, I don't think he's in a hurry to get to a bad job. I could be wrong. And, and no truth to the rumor that uh, the reason he's not been to any interviews for these jobs is because he's going to get the big New England job at the end of the season. I had not heard that rumor, and I heard that he went on two interviews last week. Uh, I mean, even uh, even Matt Patricia went on an interview, at least one. I think he had two last week as well. Uh, by the way, more breaking news on the L.A. Chargers of San Diego's new logo. The Omaha Storm Chasers now jumping into the uh, bit saying, oh, check out our logo. Very similar. Very similar. Um, Jay, are you making these teams up? I am not. The, you can, you can <laughs> Omaha follow Omaha the Storm Omaha Chasers. Boys. The Omaha Storm Chasers on Twitter. Oh. They are OMA oh. Storm Chasers. Uh, not, not the Death Star Stormtroopers. No, not no. the Death Star no. Stormtroopers. Uh, actually, they probably would have had a better logo if they had done something with a Star Wars theme to it. Uh, they don't sue anybody. <laughs> and what they did. Uh, all right, folks. I think uh, I think we've reached the end of what we can discuss. And honestly, I if you've made it through these last two hours, because I'm pretty sure we're at about the two-hour mark at this point, uh, then I thank you. Thank you very much. And please do send us emails. We'd love to hear from you and make these shows even longer by including your emails on the show. Or maybe they would make them a little bit shorter. Who knows? Uh, but send those emails, nextfanup at gmail.com. You can tweet us at NFU Podcast. Uh, maybe one of our guys, I mean, we do have super fans for almost every team, uh, have some uh, Photoshop skills, and we could do something creative with the uh, LA Chargers of San Diego's logo. Uh, so follow us at Twitter, uh, to see if that actually happens at some point over the next couple of days. Uh, we are at NFU podcast. And of course, uh, we have a Facebook page. Just search for next fan up on Facebook. Go to our website, nextfanup.wordpress.com. All those wonderful things. Please do subscribe to the show. Remember to ask, ask Alexa not to mute Jay, but to play the next fan up podcast, uh, so that you can hear our wonderful show through the speaker provided to you by that lovely company known as Amazon. And no, they are not a sponsor of this show, but they should be. And with all of that, uh, where could Jeff Fisher possibly end up? Uh, probably nowhere. He's going to take his money and run. Uh, and he'll be an announcer. Some, I'm pretty sure he's been, he's got some broadcast experience somewhere. I don't recall though. Who knows? Anyway, here he is. There you have it. Well, I think we learned today that, um, you know, this game is four quarters long. The L.A. Uh, logo meme is going nuts right now. I'm seeing all sorts yeah, of things. Yeah. This is what happens when you come up with a crappy logo. This mm-hmm. is the most relevant that the Chargers has been all year. <laughs> no, no, no. The most relevant they've been is when they got their butts kicked by Cleveland. I called. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I forgot about Cleveland's win. <laughs> oh, is this the? Oh, I have I have I have breaking news. Breaking news happening now. Uh, I do believe this is the first person who says he will not participate 
in the upcoming Pro Bowl, Marshall Yonda has taken himself out of the 2017 Pro Bowl. LaShawn McCoy took himself out earlier today as well. Oh, so uh, now we're down two. Ooh. Oh, this I have is one thing to say about Marshall Yonda. I think EA Sports is not a fan of the guy because whenever <laughs> I do a franchise fantasy draft in Madden, the guy is like a 97 overall, but he is always there in like the 12th round, and that just doesn't make any sense to me. Can we get EA Sports on here next week to explain that? Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.